There we go. <laughs> just a wonderful way to start off a service. We wanted to just make sure you guys were really paying attention today. Well, hey, welcome. I hope every single one of you had an amazing Thanksgiving, got to spend some time with your family. And so, hey, we're going to stand up. We're going to work off some of that turkey right now. We're going to make some declarations over our lives. And you know, the tongue has the power of life and death over our lives. What we're constantly saying over ourselves is really setting the direction for our lives. So why not, why not say the bad things? Why not say the good things that are happening in our life? The things that we want to see happen in our lives. We can, we can choose to go one direction, one or two directions. We can either say, wow, my life is horrible, or wow, look at where my life is going. My life is going in a good way. So would you say this with me today? God is who he says he is. God will do what he says he will do. I am who God says I am. I can do all things through Christ. God's word is truth. God's word is alive and active in me. And now because of what Christ has done, I'm highly favored, greatly blessed, and deeply loved. Let me pray today. Dear Lord, we just thank you today that we get to come into your presence, God. And what a better weekend than after Thanksgiving where we just said thank you for everything that we have, everything that we get to be a part of, for all the family members, for all the people who are around us. And we get to come into your presence, God. And so I pray right now, Lord, that we would just have a heart to receive from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated today. Well, today, Pastor Richie, I want to continue on the series that Pastor Richie has started on Heart for the House. You know, for us as believers, this isn't our plan. Church is not our plan. It's Jesus' plan. It was his plan to set this thing in motion. And so today I want to bring some scriptural context into this. And I want to bring it into Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And this is where Jesus is talking. He has just been with Pharisees and people are starting to ask, who do you say that I am? This is where Jesus starts to ask that question. Who do you say that I am? And the reason he's asking this question is because he's trying to get his disciples to start thinking about this, to start understanding that he is not just a man, but he is the son of God. And so I want to pick up in chapter 13, and this is what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea of Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? He says in verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked? Who do you say that I am? So Simon, the one who always has something to say. We've all got one of those friends. They've always got something to say. You might have a family member you were just around who's always got something to say. And you're always worried. You're like, what are they about to say right now? So he's got something to say. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is what he's come to set up. This is what Pastor Richie was just talking about, this heart for the house, the heart for the church. And 
I'm so excited what Jesus wants to build for the church. You know, I have been a part of this church for a long time. I don't know if you know this, but I've been here since the very beginning, willingly or unwillingly. I was sometimes dragged to church, sometimes uh, literally and sometimes figuratively dragged to church. And when you're here from the beginning, you get to see a lot of change happen. I can remember when we were at the beginning of the church, and we were at a, I can remember, well, before we were even at a school setting up in Terry, we were meeting at my parents' house at one point. And then after that, we went to a school, and I remember we would set up and, and tear down, and I was too little to set up and tear down, so I remember the playground where I used to hang out, and I got to skip out on that volunteer work and go play with all, all the friends. I can remember when we went to Western on, in 6, and I can remember the youth room that we used to be in and all the youth leaders who used to be there. And I can remember uh, when we started cleaning the church and playing hide-and-go-seek in the sanctuary. I can remember all those things that happened at the church. And now I remember the journey and the miracle of how we got into this building on Bell and the people who had a heart for the church and said, hey, we want to build something. We want to give something so that we're not just leasing a building, but we're owning a building. And during all those times, during every single one of those times, people had a heart for the house. And you see, during those times of at the school and at, most of the time at Western and really starting to transition here, people had a heart for me at that time. You see, when I was a child, I was not the one who was able to give. I was not, not the one who was on the giving end of it. I was on the receiving end. I was on the receiving end of all the wonderful people who had a heart for the house and had a heart to, get, to give to me, to give to changing my life. Because what you see is my parents are, they are the biggest influence of my life, but they are not the only influence of my life. It has been a community. Every single one of you, your faces, people who have been in my life, they have helped shape me. They've helped mold me. They've helped influenced me influenced me to who I am now you see I can remember who remembers Sunday school who went to a church where they had Sunday school before we had two services we used to have a thing called Sunday school here and I remember there was I remember men in my life who took me as a middle schooler how many you know middle schoolers can be a little challenging sometimes I apologize mom and dad for who I, who I was but I can remember this this, this man coming into my life and teaching me the Bible, going through scriptures, going through uh, things that would help me, that would shape me to be who I was. See, that is the importance of community right there. That's the community of the church that Jesus was building. This is for myself personally, people who had a heart for me before I would ever have a heart for them. And that's why Jesus came to set up his church. That's why he came to set up this, his, his, this, building, this thing we call church so that we will not only reach people, but that, we can, but that we can walk beside them. Walk beside them in this thing called Christianity in the context of this church that, not we, that we didn't set up, but that he set up. You see, you may not realize, but, realize this, but the church is so important. It keeps us focused together. It keeps us heading in the same direction. And see, so when we get out of church, when we get out of relationship with people, we tend to start to, dr we, sit, we start to drift. We start to do our own, own thing because what seems right to us 
what seems right to me, it may not be the best thing that God actually has for me. So let me give you some quick examples of this. Let's take marriage, for example. I'm not saying I'm a marriage expert at all. Do not come up asking for marriage advice. I'm going to send you to someone else. I've not been married long enough, and I do not claim to know all the answers. All I want to give you is some stats. And some of you might be saying, oh, stats, that's the worst. But I want to just give you some stats right now of marriage and so that I can build a case for you, so that I can build this is why I'm saying what I'm saying. This is why I believe what I believe. So let's just take marriage. It was the easiest thing to find stats on, to be honest. So if you are married, if you are married in, in America right now, you have a 50-50 shot of getting a divorce. That's from a 2008 study by the Barner Research Group, and it says if you are married right now in America, you have a 50-50 shot. And this Barner Research Group was trying to see, is there a difference between Christians and non-Christians, is there a difference? Is there something that we should change? Is there something that's happening? And this is what, that's the stat that they found. It's a 50-50 shot no matter what. Wow. You have that same shot. For me, this is a scary thing because I'm one of those people who are now married. And I don't want my, I don't want, some of you are laughing, but I'm married. I want my relationship to last. Yeah. Hopefully if you're married, you want your relationship to last. And so this does not show a very different outcome from the world. If you're in America right now, it, it shows no outcome. You have the same potential outcome as everyone else. So uh, a few years ago, a Harvard social researcher went back and started looking at marriages in the church, was, seeing, was saying, hey, this doesn't seem right. Let's take a deeper look into this. Let's see what we can find. And what they found is that you were a regular attender at church. So you attended regularly and you got into a uh, small group in the church. That doesn't mean an official small group. It just meant you had people that you were connected to in the church. You had a group of people that you sat with at church. You, were, you went to Bible study at a church. That your divorce rate went from 50% to 34%. Talk about moving the needle right there. That's a pretty big jump right there. Then the study kind of goes on. It goes further on. It started diving into if you give, if you, if you are really involved, if you serve, and if you pray together, and if you do those things together, your, your divorce rate went from 34% to 2%. Wow. So I don't know about you, but if you're wanting to make sure that your marriage is lasting, right. if you, you're going to stand the test of time that when the storm comes, with the, when the struggles come, you're going to want to make some things happen in your life where you have put God first in your relationship, where you've put people in beside you that when things happen, they don't, you don't just drift away, but you, you're anchored into a place where the community says we're here for you and they're just not going to let you float off into the abyss. It changes the odds of how your marriage works out is when you get involved and when you get connected. I wish that was the end of the study, but the study went even further. And it said that people who call themselves Christians, so people who don't tend, attend church regularly, who aren't involved, who don't know people in the church, who haven't gotten connected into the church, their marriage went from a 50% chance of getting a divorce to a 70% chance of getting a divorce. Oof. People who call themselves Christians, who are not involved with other people who call themselves Christians, the rate increases 20%. It goes to show you that this walk of faith was not meant to be done alone. 
It was meant to be done in the context of community, that it takes all of us. In James chapter 11, it's, or in James chapter 1, verse 27, we're starting to put some context to this of why the community is so important. And this is what it says in, in, chapter, in, in James chapter 1, verse 27. It says, religion that our God accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after the orphans and widows in the distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world, to, to be in the context of around other people, to be in the context of I'm with people in my life. Another verse says, and can we go to the next verse, please? In Galatians 6, verse 2, it says, carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This is, this is what God has called us to do, is that we are to look after each other. We're to be there for each other. We're to stand in the gap for each other. Just like Pastor Pam was talking about earlier, we've got our, our, our dear friends, uh, Dorian and Hayden, their little baby has been sick and in the hospital. It's not, oh, I hope you get okay. I hope you are okay right now. It's, we're standing in the gap. We're texting them. We're calling them. We're checking up on them. We're in a relationship with them. We're carrying each other's burdens. And another example of this is when you're pregnant or when you have, have babies. Right now, I have a lot of friends who are having babies right now, and it, they're awesome. I love babies, especially love other people's babies. I've got two of my own. I love sending their babies home with, the, with them. <laughs> But right now, when my friends are saying they're, they're having babies or they're, they're pregnant, they're, they just had a baby, we set up a meal train for them. We're getting involved. We are there for them. And after the baby is born, it's not just a meal train for them. I'm a part of that child's life. I'm there speaking into his destiny. I'm there speaking into her destiny. And I'm there because not because I have to be, because I want to see that child become all that he or she has been called, called to be. That's what God wants us to be a part of. That is the church that God has called us to want to create in other people's lives, to be there for them. Not just, hi, how are you doing on Sunday, but to be in community for each other. And so this heart for the house, it, it starts with me. I had a heart for this house, not because I have to, but because you had a heart for me first. And so now because I've had a heart for this house, it's my turn to go out and find other people. Because of what I have now in Jesus' life has turned into, it's, tur it's changed my life, and now it's my turn to change other people's lives. Because if you think of this, this church and this thing, we, it, we think of it as a building, but really we should be thinking of it as a ship sometimes. And this ship has a job, and its job is to rescue people from drowning. Have you ever seen anyone drowning before? Anybody? No? No hands. Okay. No one has seen that before. You are lucky. Congratulations. I hope you never have to see it. But anyway, I remember one time me and Christian, we were, we were, uh, we were swimming one time with some family friends, and someone was supposed to be watching us kids, but I'm not going to name names today of who it was. Mom, it was you. I didn't name her name. I just said what that person's role is in my life. So anyway, I'm going to be in trouble tomorrow. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we, were, we were swimming. It was, uh, I, was think, I was like 10 at the time, I feel like. I was younger. I could swim really well. My brother could swim really well. And, and we had our family friends who were swimming with us. And we're just playing. 
Well, then the youngest swimmer decided, I'm done swimming. I don't want to swim anymore. He got out of the pool, took his floaties off, and was just sitting beside the pool. Well, it was no big deal because he, he knew, hey, I can't get too close to the edge. Was just playing with some toys on the side. Well, I don't know what happened. He was either got too close to the pool or just tripped and fell in, but no one heard him fall into the pool. It, not a sound heard. All of a sudden, my brother Christian was underwater, sees this little boy who has fallen into the pool, picks him up, swims up to the top, and throws him onto the side of the pool. And he is coughing. He's, he's, he is... Uh, He is frazzled at this point, but Christian literally goes and saves this little boy's life. Come on, give it up for Christian. You didn't know he he knew water rescue. He can do it. So my mom rushes over. The little boy is coughing. He's coughing up water. At the end of the day, he ends up perfectly fine. But this is what we as Christians are supposed to do for people who don't know God yet. You are on assignment to save people who are drowning right now. And we are not, this is not just a thing that we're supposed to do. Jesus gives us the example that we are supposed to go out and save other people. We're supposed to go out and save people who are drowning. The best example of this is when Jesus goes into the town of Jericho and he saves a guy named Zacchaeus. And so I want you, if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 1 and 3. And this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And I want to stop right there for a moment. Isn't it amazing that we're passing through this life right now? You see, when Jesus is passing through Jericho, he's not stopping to live there. He knows that he is on an assignment in his life. And his assignment is not to stay in Jericho and be in Jericho. His assignment is to pass through and save people. And just like Jesus is passing through, we are passing through this life. We are not going to be here forever. We do not belong to the world. We belong to God. So continue on in verse 2. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but, when he, but he was too short, and he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. I want to go ahead and stop right here. So we, we are starting to see who Zacchaeus is. First of all, he's a wealthy person. I love that the Bible puts that in there because I'm guessing even though he's wealthy, he's not happy. He's still looking for something. Even though he thought money would make him happy, he's sitting there going, I have all this money and I don't know what I'm looking for. But all that he's found, all that his money can buy, all that his money can do for him, he's still looking and he can't quite put his finger on it. So now you see that he is desperate. And he is so desperate, he is willing to climb into a tree. Isn't that odd? All this money in the world and he is willing to act like a child to go climb a tree. Because I don't know if you, you guys might be from somewhere else where I've, you've seen this a lot. I don't see a lot of grown men climbing trees all the time. Especially around other people. Now, some of you grown men like to go hunting. You do climb trees. I'm not talking about that right now. But for a grown man to be outside of our building climbing the tree, be like, hmm, that's a little odd right now. Do we have a police officer here? Yes, we do. It's a little odd. He's got all this money, all this power, but at the same time, he's willing to act like a child to see God. 
This is outside the norm right now. This is outside of what you would like to see in your life. So the passage continues. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So at once, he, he, he went down and welcomed him gladly. Then all the people, when all the people saw this, they began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. And so when you're inviting people into your life, when you're saying, hey, would you like to come over? Hey, would you like to come to my Bible study? Hey, would you like to come to my marriage thing? People are going to be asking, why did you invite that person? Why did you invite that person to come sit with you? Don't you know who he is? Don't you know what that person has done? And you can say, yes, but do you know who my God is? Do you know who my God has saved? Do you know what I've done in my life? I'm just extending the same grace that God has extended to me. So verse 8, so Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This is what happens when salvation comes to life. You don't just stay the same. You are changed. You look at your life different like, wow, I can't believe this is who I am. This is, I can't believe this is where I'm going to go. Then Jesus says, today, Salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the people who are saying, why are you saving that person? Because he is still a child of God. Verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And that's what God wants us to do. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to seek and save the lost. He wants us to go after the people that no one else wants to go after. Hey, Caden, you can go ahead and come up here. I didn't tell them when the piano's to come up, so that's on me. And what God wants us to do is he wants us to go out and have a heart for other people. You see, because I have a heart for this house because people had a heart for me, and there are people who, they, they need you to have a heart for them before they'll ever have a heart for you. And you know what? We have this wonderful thing called the gospel, and it's the good news of Jesus Christ because when people start to connect to him and the church has been created so that we can connect to their lives are forever changed and just like I was saying I don't have a heart for this house just because I was told to I have a heart for this house because people had a heart for me first before I could ever say thank you before I could ever do anything meaningful for them they just loved me for who I was Sometimes a bratty middle schooler. Sometimes a elementary kid who didn't really know what was going on. And so for some of you, you, may, you might be at the beginning stage right now where you are just coming in. You're just starting your walk with Christ. And I want to say as the church, we want to walk with you. I don't want you to be another statistic that came to church and then just left and never got connected. I want you to feel home and a part of the church. But for you to do that, some of you are going to have to take your next step. You're going to have to decide, I'm going to step out. I'm going to take a leap of faith. I'm going to have to do something I'm uncomfortable with. And for those of you who you have been here, it might be time for you to stretch out your hand. It might be time for you to throw the rope out and say, here, I'll, I'll be with you. I'll walk this journey with you.
I'll come up beside you and say, I'm going to walk beside you, and I'm not going to let you walk alone. Because when we walk alone, we tend to fall alone. When we fall alone, we've got no one there to pick us back up. So today, as we're, we're closing off, every one of us might have a next step. For some of you, it might be, I'm going to get connected. I'm going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, I'm taking my next step. For some of you, it might be, I'm going to reach out. I've been connected for a while. I've been kind of in this same safe position for a while. But I'm going to walk out. I'm going to have a heart for other people. Yeah. And not because I have to, but because people had a heart for me first. And so, would you pray? Would you bow your heads with me today? And we're going to pray. And this first thing we're going to pray for is if you feel like I want to get connected today. I want to take my step. I want to get connected to the church. And I want to say, I want to take my next step. And if that's you today, and you want to take your next step, I want you just to raise your hand. I'm taking my next step today. I'm going to say, this is my church. I'm going to get connected to people. I'm going to say, this is, I'm going to find my group. Dear Lord, I pray for those people right now. I pray right now for people who feel disconnected right now. I pray right now, Lord, you are getting them involved. You're getting them connected, God. And I pray right now that they would find their home in Jesus' name. And the next thing I want to pray for is for you might be sitting here and you've been connected. You've been in the church. You've, you've been here a while. And, you're, and now is your turn to say, I'm not just going to be connected. I'm going to reach my hand out. And I'm going to find people and I'm going to walk beside them. Because we need you. Because that person that you don't know yet needs you. They need you more than you can imagine. And so if that's you today, you're saying, I'm going to step out today and I'm going to be bold. I want to take my next step. God, would you help me do that? If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. And my hand's raised just along with you that I want to take my next step. I want to be involved in other people's life. And so, dear Lord, I pray for us, God, that we would not be scared of our next step, but that we would reach out and grab other people, pull them up beside us, and walk this journey out. And the last thing I want to pray for is, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity today he is the best decision you could ever make. And so if that's you today and you're saying, I want to walk this Christ out, I want to take my first step of getting to know Christ, I want you to raise your hand and, and when I count to three, one, two, three, just raise your hand up right now if you want to get to know our Savior, Jesus. All right, would you join me in prayer today? Would you say, dear Jesus, thank you for coming to my life. Be my Savior and be my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.